Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That it, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened in the world of WWE over the last week, SmackDown Raw and beyond as the company continues its journey towards its first premium live event following WrestleMania, Backlash in Puerto Rico going down in early May. We have a ton to talk about on today's show, but we're never going to get to it if we don't begin with a reminder, as always, that this podcast is all about Defied. So please don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. We've gotten a number of them recently, but as I've mentioned on the podcast, they are not seemingly from American listeners, and I need to know what country you're from in order for me to find the review on the respective Apple Podcast pages. So if you recently left a five-star written review, please let us know from what country you did it, and we will go ahead and find it, read it live right here on the show. Also, do not forget here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I happen to love the number five. So head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. You can also find the link in our Twitter bio at Getting Overcast. You can become a member, an official Getting Overhead, get bonus audio and inside news posts consistently on our feed again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. All of our members will tell you that they are absolutely loving what we're doing right now. Multiple updates per week. Uh, hopefully the value is there for all of them. So much so that we had two new members join us over the last week, Arun S and Nicholas M. So to you gentlemen, I acknowledge, acknowledge. big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. Welcome to the party pals. And you know what? I forgot this sound drop. Let me just remind all of you off the top here. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. You should always be marks for the Silver King for Vintage and the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis highlights, and so much more. Chris, welcome to the show. It was not an overly eventful week, I would say, in WWE yet. Nevertheless, as we sit down to do the show, there's still a ton to talk about leading not only into backlash, but some of WWE's major shows going forward. So this week, uh, give me a quick recap uh, from your perspective. How did things go uh, watching WWE? Stuff is happening. None of it is all that bad, but there seems very little intensity. And it's, it's now again, I said this last week, it, 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 there's always a natural lull post WrestleMania. And on top of that, we don't have Roman Reigns on our television. So we just kind of got to understand that context. It feels like Triple H show again, where there's reason behind everything. Right. It may not all be great, but you understand it. I think what we are missing, which this was the case a lot in the fall too sometimes, is that there's just that top, top level stuff is mm -hmm. missing the intensity we got, you know, heading into Mania, which is understandable. But I just watched Raw and I was like, all right, like, this is fine. But there was, was there anything on Raw that was like must watch? Uh, a couple things, maybe. I think, I think but, but it was, it was all right. I think the best way to describe Raw, just as an example, it was one of the best filler episodes of television I can remember in that nothing yeah. that happened on the show seemed to actually matter long term, yet 
for what we got on the show, it was an entertaining three hours of television that I wasn't angry that I watched, right? And that's the best way to describe, I think, WWE this month. And it is in large part, like you mentioned, because Roman Reigns basically took the entire month after WrestleMania off. He's not on the Backlash card. So they said, you know what? We're not going to use him at all. We'll bring him back after Backlash once the draft is settled. And we'll build for the Saudi show, Money in the Bank, and SummerSlam. That's basically what we're going to do with Roman Reigns. And look, he's the one who worked out that contract. So you can't hate. I mean, you can dislike the situation, but you can't hate on him for taking time off that is owed to him, right, Uh, as part of his deal. But yes, everything, I think it's the combination of Roman Reigns not being there, they're not being another world champion since they only have one title. So there's even on Raw, there's no upper level storyline that's going that's unique specifically to that show. Um, also, it being a filler month moving into Backlash and the draft, they're changing the roster. So they don't want to get any long term, new long term storyline started. So mm-hmm. we're just in this weird uh, purgatory of WWE where it's like, OK, Triple H and the creative team are doing the best they can to put on entertaining shows. And I will tell you, the five hours of wrestling television I watched from WWE this week, I enjoyed, no question. But at the same time, as you kind of just alluded to, it wasn't anything more than that. It doesn't feel like anything's really advancing to a significant degree. A little bit with the bloodline, you could say. Everything else is kind of like, all right, let's just do something that we can contain in a really short three to four week window. That way, once the backlash is done, once the draft is over, we can kind of put a stake in the ground and start fresh. I really do believe WWE is going to start fresh coming out of backlash. I agree. And, and they've always used WrestleMania as like an end point a lot. Well, and there's, they used to do that all the time. They stopped doing it, which made it monotonous. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. But like, you know, it's always kind of bothered me that they, they never seem to take advantage of the momentum from WrestleMania mm-hmm. to like start really hot storylines coming out of it. They just, they've never really done that. And I always feel like they miss that opportunity because they get a big post mania, you know, TV audience, and then it plummets in the next couple of weeks, like every single year. And it's just always kind of been like, I feel like you should continue the momentum. And it's just, they never do. WrestleMania is the high point and then it goes down again. And then SummerSlam is a new high point and then football starts and we go down again. So it's just the natural peaks and valleys. And we're currently, heading downward. It's almost like they don't think they are able to keep the momentum past WrestleMania all the way to SummerSlam. Because if you are able to accomplish that and you take this, you know, multi-month period and you're not going to have WrestleMania level momentum, the road to WrestleMania, Royal Rumble and all that, it's not going to, you know, uh, maintain that peak. It's not going to stay that high, but you can get it maybe 75%. Of the way there. If they were able to keep that all the way through to SummerSlam, then once SummerSlam is over and the NFL and college football start, if you want to take your foot off the gas a little bit, it's understandable because you're going against mm-hmm. massive competition that doesn't matter what you put on TV, you're not going to beat it. It's just, you know, especially Raw on Monday nights against Monday Night Football. So you really do question why they don't go harder right now. But I got to say, what they have lined up is pretty interesting because Backlash, which would normally be a B-level show in a 10,000-seat arena is a stadium show in Puerto Rico, right? Then, you know, the Saudi show is happening, and for all its ills, it's a stadium show. It's major. They build big storylines for it. They usually have celebrities come out for it, the whole deal. And then they're going Money in the Bank in London at the O2 Arena, and then they're going SummerSlam in Detroit, Michigan, which is all very exciting, of course, in another stadium show. So, 
we can say they're taking their foot off the gas, maybe creatively, at least through backlash. But in terms of the major events they have lined up, they're significant. And let's go ahead and get to the first of those major events. It's going to be coming out of backlash. That is the upcoming WWE Blood Money in the Sand show set for late May. It has been changed from King and Queen of the Ring to Knight of Champions. Now, that is interesting for multiple reasons. First, it's undoubtedly a better name. It just rolls off the tongue better. Personally, I always like Clash of Champions better than Knight of Champions, but I digress. Uh, King and Queen of the Ring is clunky as hell. But this show on May 27th will be smack on the 1,000-day mark for Roman Reigns' undisputed WWE Universal Championship reign. So given what they normally do over there, you have to expect a spectacular display of fireworks and such, and it's going to be extremely interesting to determine who will be his challenger, because I can tell you, I mean, even though the pessimists among us would love to say, of course, they're going to have Reigns drop the title in Saudi instead of at WrestleMania or something like that, he's not losing on day 1000. That's not going to happen. So who do you put in that spot to challenge him for the title on that epic night and have him beat them? That's a question that hopefully will be determined sooner than later. Also, with this name change, it could mean the removal of the King and Queen of the Ring tournaments that we were getting excited about. And you all know I was thrilled to hear those were returning. Now, whether those go down at all now remains to be seen. I inquired with WWE, did not receive an answer either way. It's ridiculous. I've I've talked about this for years, that WWE has largely stopped doing King of the Ring And seeing it brought back in what appeared to be a very meaningful way was exciting to me. Also, going with Knight of Champions is interesting, Chris, because the gimmick to that name is every single title is defended on one show. Yet right now, one of WWE's main titles is held by someone who has been unwilling to step foot in Saudi Arabia, which means either there's going to be no men's tag team championship match on the show, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn have to drop the titles less than two months after winning them, or Sami changes his mind and decides to wrestle there. Now, I do know that Syria and Saudi have recently improved their relations, and Sami got huge chance at that Crown Jewel press conference, if you remember the one with Logan Paul and Roman Reigns that they did back in like November or whenever Mm -hmm. it was, but that does create a notable wrinkle in this booking. So I did want to lay that all out for you, get your thoughts Uh, The change in name to King and Queen of the Ring tonight of champions, celebrating Roman Reigns, hitting a thousand days on that show, Uh, whether those matches happen, the King and Queen of the Ring tournaments, and of course, lastly, potentially, uh, either the titles changing or Sammy and KO perhaps not showing up at all. Yes. Oh, in terms of the name, uh, a clash of the champions, I think, is the best one the way it used to be the old WCW and stuff back in the day. Was it called Clash of the Champions? I thought it was yeah, just Clash I, of Champions. Yeah, I looked it up. It was Clash oh. of the Champions. And the WWE eventually got the name and changed Nut of Champions to Clash of Champions. See, that I like was, best. Yeah, but I, I, I like Clash of the Champions. But um, in terms of the Saudi show, it, it is being built up as a big show. I guess we'll figure out whatever happens with the tournaments. You, you know, Like we said, we both love King of the Ring Queen of the Ring tournaments, it's a natural storytelling device mm-hmm. that helps you elevate somebody who needs it, whether that's a Chad Gable, an L.A. Knight, uh, someone like that could absolutely use something like that. So 
hopefully that all works out, whatever it ends up being. Um, and as far as Sami Zayn, I don't know. I mean, that that is, we, we really don't know if Sami will be there or not. I will say, and we'll get into this in this episode, Sami and KO do not feel like a long-term championship team, just with the way things are going. It's interesting what they're doing, yeah. Yeah, and I can say that later. We can get more into the details in the main event, but um, I would not be surprised if they are not the champions going into that event. Yeah, we'll talk about that more in the main event of today's show, no doubt about it. Really, this entire thing all boils down. It's it's like uh, the Chris Rock OJ joke from back in the day. And no, I'm not about to pull a Michael Scott here and do his routine. But if they do take the titles off KO and Sammy, I'm not saying I agree, but I understand. Agree. Okay. Uh, secondly, the WWE draft obviously was announced last week. It's going to begin now in less than two weeks on the Friday, April 28th SmackDown. It's going to continue on the Monday, May 1st Raw, both basically what I would call the go-home shows before Backlash in Puerto Rico. Curious timing because you would expect the draft to begin immediately after a premium live event, but it is the start of sweeps for television. And perhaps the gimmick is going to be that all of the new brand alignments officially begin on the Raw after Backlash, giving it kind of a hard reset. The SmackDown, where the draft is going to begin, is also going to be the second night of the actual NFL draft. So they're trying to do draft versus draft, which I just can't see as a great idea. But if it ultimately pops or saves the rating from the competition, then I guess it'll all make sense in the end. Yeah. Also, we didn't really talk about this. Uh, last week with the draft but like what is the point of what like in kayfabe like what is the draft right now we don't have multiple you know authority figures on each show it's only adam pierce we don't have the television networks asking for one or the other i feel like there's kind of a missed opportunity to like tell a story with this draft like why is this draft happening like even the first draft it was like Look, we have so many people now. We we need to split everybody up and go from there. There's just there's kind of no reason for the draft, and we're still kind of missing that. Yeah, and your puppies agree. They are clearly vexed by the lack of storytelling uh, for the draft. I, I think it, there could be a kayfabe explanation provided, but really Triple H coming out and just saying we're going to shake things up. I mean, that's really kind of all you need. It's all I need. I do agree that it would be nice if there was a second authority figure in charge and they actually did what I've always kind of wanted them to do is you have two authority figures and then two like representatives of the network who don't need to be on screen. They can be Zoom calls that you just never see their faces or you know cell phone conversations where Adam Pierce is on the phone talking to the Fox executive and arguing or going yeah. back and forth between a couple people. But the question is, who's gonna be making these picks, right? What I The one thing I dislike perhaps most about drafts in the past is when like Stephanie McMahon would come out as the commissioner and just announce picks for both ends. It's like, well, sure, but who's making the picks? Like you're you're just announcing it. Um, Now, if there's, if they do war rooms or if there is a representative and and maybe there will be, we're, you know, we're kind of making assumptions here, right? It's two weeks away. We don't know what it's going to look like. It's very possible that Adam Pierce is one of them or Adam Pierce is the commissioner of the entire thing. And people are appointed to draft for, uh, each roster. And they could be people that we've seen on TV, agents, 
Um, new people that come in, Sonia Deville could get elevated into a GM position for Raw again. We don't exactly know what they're going to do, but I do agree that just saying this is going to be a draft. And if all the draft is, is Triple H or Adam Pierce coming out to a podium and announcing you're going here, you're going here. And there's no actual like process behind it. Yeah. That always does frustrate me. I agree. They they will not do this, but it would be such a brilliant ratings move to have Vince McMahon draft one team and oh Dana my God. White draft the other team. Oh man. <laughs> I, I don't even want to put that out in the universe, but I guess you just did. So we're kind of screwed there. There really are a ton of different options that they can go with here. I, I don't have a doubt that there's going to be storytelling aspects to the draft, meaning where people go, why they go there, you know, heaven forbid certain tag teams getting broken up, things to that end. The question really, though, is what are these rosters going to look like? And given the fact that two of the championships right now are undisputed, the world title and the tag team titles, you made this case kind of or you were in the process of making this case at the beginning of this conversation. There's really less of a reason to have the draft than ever before because there aren't multiple titles. When there were, Mm -hmm. then you could have people going after different straps and the whole deal. It's one thing for Roman Reigns to continue being undisputed champion. He's working on a record reign. All that type of stuff is going on. With the tag team titles, it really feels like a situation where those need to be split for the betterment of the rosters, the shows, and the brand split. And I do hope that is what's going to come from this sooner than later. Now, we will do some form of WWE mock draft on next week's show. Format to be determined. We'll see if they tell us a little bit more. Uh, this coming Friday on SmackDown. And then, Chris, you and I will kind of commiserate and figure out exactly the way we want to do the draft. But ultimately, we'll provide some type of mock draft next week on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Three other, actually four other quick items to get to before we get into the show. First, this happened either at WrestleMania or the week after WrestleMania. But if you notice on the WWE intro now, they have replaced Ric Flair's woo with Acknowledge Me from Roman Reigns, which I just found to be very curious. Uh, before we started today's show, there was an announcement from WWE that Big E is going to be the in-stadium voice of the Michigan Panthers of the USFL for their entire season. So I think five or six games, he's going to be in Ford Field uh, doing all the hype stuff for that USFL team. Of course, that's going to lead into SummerSlam, also at Ford Field. So congrats to Big E. Uh, and congrats to me. I'll be there. I got tickets last week. There you go. So you'll get to see Big E. Uh, third, uh, there was no women's match this week on SmackDown. And while there were two on Raw, one of them was three minutes. Now, that said, it does seem like the women are moving in the right direction with four solid storylines across both shows. And they did get a long promo segment on SmackDown, and they did get, with Trish Stratus, got a long promo segment on Raw. Given the whole month feels like filler to get through backlash in the draft, I'm not going to go crazy about this, but 12 minutes of women's wrestling across five hours of television, it's just not acceptable when you have the talent that you do on WWE's roster. It's not good. You know, part of it's injuries and some key people being out, uh, part of it's storyline or not, whatever you want to believe about the Becky Lynch stuff. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a problem. We, we've talked about it for a while. We thought WrestleMania would be the time to kind of reset, have get back into the women's stuff, but it's been an issue basically since Triple H took over. And only have 12 minutes of wrestling. They deservedly should be criticized for that. Yeah, the um, Bianca Belair-Dakota Kai match was nine, maybe 10 minutes, and 
that was it. I mean, again, no match on SmackDown, three minutes for the tag team match on Raw. Just doesn't work. And lastly, before we get to the main event, we often spend time early in these shows uh, complaining about bad crowds. I wanted to take a second and acknowledge the Lincoln, Nebraska crowd from Friday. They took a good SmackDown and made it seem like it was a great SmackDown. They were hot for every single thing on the show. Santos Escobar and the LWO got their best reactions yet. Both the faces and heels were put over really strong by the fans. There have been plenty of awesome WWE crowds recently, but rarely do they actively make a show better. And that's what happened in Nebraska on Friday. So shout out to them. And Little Rock, Arkansas for Monday, they weren't bad either. They were cold for the women, but they were basically hot for everything else on the show. So So it was very impressive what we got from those crowds. I did think the Nebraska crowd was really good. However, I also felt like the fake crowd noise was in there a bit because there were moments where like Liv Morgan's cutting her promo in the ring and the crowd is like talking over her like it was the Thunderdome era, you Hmm. know, like when we got that. So I don't know if there was any fake crowd noise in there. I didn't get a sense of it on Monday, but it did overall feel like it was a good SmackDown crowd and it did add to the quality viewing of the show when the crowd's into it like it's just more fun to watch see i got the exact opposite impression i don't think there was any fake audio on smackdown but i did think we got it on raw i thought we got it during the bronson reed attack and i thought we got it during the trish stratus uh promo both of those cases it sounded like there was piped in audio but i didn't get that at all on smackdown i thought that was natural like loud crowd noise just remember yes the vast majority of the time if you're not seeing the people make the mannerisms directly in front of you and whatever crowd shot you get, it's possible that it's piped in, but there is an entire rest of the arena. So just because one section doesn't go crazy for something doesn't mean the rest of the arena is not. No. So it's it is kind of tough. Yeah. It's those moments when crowds don't normally cheer. Yes. That you hear a lot of noise and you're like, well, that doesn't sound right. And in sometime, a lot of times that's when someone's cutting a promo. Like they were and consistently booing Trish the entire promo. And she said a lot of things that deserve to get booed and were booed that you could see the crowd booing her. Yeah. But it was the entire promo. And you're like, there's no way that people are just booing her for two and a half minutes. It just, yeah, it, it didn't happen. So, you know, it's, it's frustrating to me. It was okay when they used it initially, when they were kind of coming out of the Thunderdome and they wanted to kind of direct the crowd a little bit and tell people where they wanted to go because they didn't know how people would react to certain wrestlers and certain storylines. And then when the crowds were bad for a period of time, it was still okay to kind of keep using it because otherwise you're just listening to nothing. But the crowds are good now. You don't need it. If they don't react to something, that's on the performer. You don't need to sweeten it anymore. So um, I really did not notice it on SmackDown, but I did notice it on Raw. So it was interesting that you brought it up. Either way, though, shout out to the people in Lincoln, Nebraska. That was a great crowd for a really solid SmackDown. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris, that was a lot of stuff to get into the show today. We still have plenty left to talk about, of course. We're going to go to the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the return of the last word. Chris, let's kick it off as we always do here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And really, we're in a portion of um, this show where it's just bloodline dominated every single week. It is the singular topic that dominates Raw and SmackDown, and therefore it has to dominate this show as well. So we're going to go through everything that happened on SmackDown and everything that happened on Raw, not just with the bloodline, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens and Matt Riddle, but Judgment Day as well. So we'll kick things off with SmackDown. Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens opened 
saying they've been so obsessed with the bloodline, they haven't really enjoyed being the undisputed tag team champions or thought about the WWE draft at all. They promise to defend the titles with everything they have, even against the Usos whenever they come for a rematch. So, of course, the Usos and Solo Sokoa entered, saying the bloodline is more dangerous than ever. Jey Uso admitted he was wrong, that Owens was going to turn on Zayn, saying it would be Sammy stabbing Kevin in the back like he did to Jay. The heels went to attack with Matt Riddle surprising out of the crowd to even the sides. They all brawled. Riddle ducked the Samoan spike and hit two big pump knees on Sokoa, knocking him out to end the segment. Adam Pearce later made the singles match for the main event, and WWE showed replay footage from December reminding us that Sokoa took out Riddle for four months. Zayn then cautioned Riddle that Sokoa was for real and he should be careful. Owens completely disagreed. He wanted Riddle to be aggressive and kick his ass. Riddle said he was focused on preparation, keeping his head clean, and getting revenge. Paul Heyman later gave Sokoa a passionate pep talk saying, when Riddle embarrassed Sokoa, he embarrassed Afa, Sika, the memory of Yokozuna, Umaga, he was rolling over in his grave, and obviously Roman Reigns. Solo stopped Paul cold, finally speaking and saying, tell the tribal chief, I got this. As the Usos sold him speaking with like those oh shit faces holding their hands over their mouths. Now, I didn't think there was much to the opening segment. I was pleased that the faces acknowledged, hey, we're freaking champions and we need to actually be doing shit beyond the bloodline. Granted, that didn't actually happen and it won't happen until at least through backlash, but it was a start. Otherwise, there wasn't much new storyline there, After that, though, I thought was great. The reminder of Sokoa's attack on Riddle, that was really well placed. The faces getting into it backstage was strong character development for all three of them as a trio. Heyman's promo was outstanding. And Sokoa finally having enough and actually speaking with the Usos reacting, that was done well too. So opening segment, eh, the rest of it, really strong. We we say it almost every week now, but like this is becoming solo Sokoa's like time, his leadership. He is the sole focus of the bloodline stuff right now and it's awesome because he's great i love the paul Heyman hype speech to get him up like that got me excited and solo just being like no i got this like he feels like a guy now who's going to be a world champion within like five years like he is they have so much faith in him now to just main event these type of shows and do all this type of stuff and even though like the bloodline lost he never feels, he always feels like he's at the top of his game. He always feels like somebody you should fear. And maybe that's because this character hasn't had down times yet, and he'll get those eventually. But he is in an awesome spot right now. And without Roman, they're leaning on him to be that powerhouse guy, folks, the, the singles focus. And I'm into it. I, I, I'm really liking it. Of all the stuff going on with the bloodline and the people around them. Solo, to me, is the most interesting person in all of it. He's like, you know, it's not the perfect comparison, but he's almost like original Rusev, who was just unbeatable. And you believed when he went in the ring. It didn't matter if he was facing a top. Umaga also, actually. It didn't mm-hmm. matter if he was facing a top star, John Cena, whoever. There was a legitimate chance he would win. The difference kind of being Sokoa wins all the time, mm-hmm. right? Now, we didn't even get to the match yet, but... The way he's being built, it's impressive. The fact that he got called up from NXT at Clash at the Castle when he was just starting to get going in NXT, where it was my opinion and many others who watched the show at the time, oh, wow, you know, he's going to win the North American Championship. He's eventually going to be an NXT champion. Then he'll get called up and join the bloodline. No, they they pulled the trigger on that fast. And man, it was the right decision. So credit to Triple H seeing that in him because his addition to the bloodline has really enhanced the group from really top to bottom. Now, 
After all of this, Heyman announced before the main event that the tag team title rematch would be held in two weeks on SmackDown the same night as the WWE draft that we talked about. Heyman guaranteed Sammy and KO would be defeated, saying the tribal chief is losing patience while pointing at the faces, but staring daggers into the Usos from behind. Jay and Jimmy, they didn't notice or react because Paul was doing it from behind their backs, which added some really great storyline intensity to this entire thing. Doing the rematch on TV, Chris, it gives me high hopes the titles are not going to be changed back, probably like DQ due to interference, leading to what at this time on Friday was the expected backlash six-man tag team match that got eventually made official on Monday. Even if Sammy and KO refuse to go to Saudi Arabia and the titles need to be on that show, I don't find much reason to do the change four weeks before it. Another option is changing the titles and then changing them back at Money in the Bank, giving Sammy and KO another big win in front of a hot crowd. That wouldn't be ideal, but this being on TV, to me, it just didn't say title change. And I don't think they're going to pull that trigger. I really hope they don't pull that trigger. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can kind of talk about this stuff now, but it doesn't feel like they're going to change the titles on a SmackDown. It felt like, hey, NFL drafts is that night. We've got our draft. We're trying to make it into a big show. Yeah, WrestleMania so rematch, main event. We're, yeah, we're gonna put some big stuff on it, but I, I don't think you change the. I, also, I don't think you change the titles right back to the Usos. Like, I think Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are gonna drop the title sooner rather than later. I just don't think it's to, to the Usos. I think like we told that story with the titles and putting it right back on them kind of just takes away that whole thing we 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 did. Kevin and, and Sammy backstage with Riddle. Like they're doing the like we're friends, but we fight a lot type of stuff. And like it works. They're just natural at really doing that. But even when when Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are in the ring together, they're it's, they're giving like the same promo every single week. It's it's like, remember that great moment at WrestleMania? Well, because they're stuck because there's nothing else. for There's nothing else for them. They're still stuck in the bloodline storyline, right? Right. There's nothing. There's nowhere else for them to go right now. And basically, like their whole story like was the chase right and was coming together they don't feel like a group that needs to have a really long tag team title reign like they they accomplish what they they they, they rekindled their friendship and they vanquished the foes at wrestlemania that that like that was all they needed to do and and, and they they made they main event to wrestlemania with the tag team it, it was a great moment but we don't need like a six month run here where they beat down every other tag team in the division they can lose the titles to somebody else outside the bloodline and continue the bloodline story. Absolutely fine. I think so. I think that's what ends up happening. I don't know if the draft happens on that. I don't know if they drop one of the titles or, or what exactly happens, but it feels like this isn't something that's built to last, but not necessarily. That's not, that's not a bad thing. No, it's I, I think you can have train. You can have a iconic moment, but it'd be a transitional championship and that's fine. Mankind, beat the rock on raw and had this big moment and he lost the title. Like not that long after he got it back, lost it again. Like it, mankind didn't have a great title reign, but we still remember him winning it and it mattered. And that's perfectly fine. Yeah. You know, you're a thousand percent right. The title reign here doesn't matter, but at the same time, it shouldn't be five weeks. Like, you know, they, yeah. they reach this, this peak and they're both main event caliber superstars. Kevin Owens has literally main evented the last two WrestleManias. He's been a former, mm -hmm. you know, world heavyweight champion in WWE. I forget, a uh, universal champion in WWE. So 
these are guys the caliber of which should not be dropping the titles immediately. What I would love to see if I was booking the damn territory is immediately after the draft, once backlash is over, like a two-week tournament, each on SmackDown and Raw to determine number one contenders for each brand's titles. You have them defend the Raw titles first and retain. Then you have them defend the SmackDown titles and lose. Maybe it's like the Viking Raiders or a really believable team, Braun Strowman and Ricochet, you know, someone really powerful like Strowman beats them. Maybe there's Usos interference or other heel interference, whatever the case might be. Therefore, they're champions of one brand. The other brand's titles go to someone else. The Usos can win them back if they want. They can do whatever the hell they want. And then if they don't want to go to Saudi Arabia, one set of tag team titles can still go there, yet they remain champions on the other brand. That's the way I would book it. But, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. We still have a lot to talk about here. Um, I think I think the, the tag team titles, perhaps even more than the world titles, need to be split up because yes. the world title reign is still unique. Even if you're tired of it, if you're in that camp, it's still, he's, he's breaking records and going up that ladder. The tag team title reign is over, the record reign. And them being stuck as undisputed champions, it's hurting both shows because you want these tag teams featured on the shows actually competing for something, not just every other month they do a number one contendership, someone wins, the titles are defended, the titles are retained. That's what we got for a year plus with the Usos. We got to move away from that. All right. Yep. That was a diatribe from both of us. Let's keep going and talk about everything else that happened on SmackDown and Raw in this storyline. So we had Riddle and Sokoa as the main event of SmackDown. Zayn, Owens, and the Usos all got ejected from ringside a few minutes into the match. Right as Riddle was in the middle of a hot run, the Usos returned. Again, they were ejected from the match. With Sammy and KO running down the ramp, again, they were ejected from the match. To meet them and brawl, Riddle set up for a floating bro inside. He changed it to a springboard version outside to take out the Usos. Then when he came back in the ring, Solo caught him flying with a kick to the chest and hit the Samoan spike for the win. After the bell, Sokoa urinagied Riddle into the announce table and then flipped it on top of him, even though it kind of leaned against the barricade. While going wild at ringside, Sammy and KO ran down to flip the table back and save Riddle, who sold an arm injury and Solo celebrated in the ring. Now, coming off that loss to Cody Rhodes and the beatdown by Owens, it was important for Sokoa to get a significant win. And Riddle had an easy excuse here because he did a dumb baby face move, went after the guys at ringside rather than his opponent. They didn't actually interfere. They did distract a little bit, but he made the conscious decision to go after them instead of his opponent. Sammy and KO running to his aid, I thought, set them up as a trio that was getting each other's backs. We saw more of that on Raw. We'll talk about that momentarily. It helps make them teaming for that six-man match more believable. All in all, I thought it was a really strong main event. It progressed the story forward. And it did so after a slow start to SmackDown. Yep, it accomplished everything it needed to. Everybody looks good and, and properly aligned at the end of it. To your point, being kind of kicked out or banned from ringside and then coming down to ringside is it. sudden is suddenly like a problem in wrestling because this happened with AEW it too. Does, yeah. uh, not that long ago. Like you you need that has to be enforced because otherwise it doesn't mean anything moving forward. Like like people can come down after the bell to beat up after they've been banned from ringside. But that was always like the one thing that when the ref ruled something, it never got broken. And now we've seen it in two different companies. And I don't, I don't like that. You, you got to have some rules that people follow. And that, that should be one of them. When players get ejected from sporting events, especially like NBA games, there is, you know, coach, like an assistant coach kind of like gets them to like the VOM area and then security 
helps walk them back. Not like that they're in danger of anything, but they're just kind of like enforcing the rule, right? That's mm -hmm. what should happen here. If someone gets ejected from ringside, WWE, AEW, I don't care. Security guards come out and just like herd them backstage. They just kind of make sure they go there. And then if they run past them and get back into the ring, it's a DQ, period. Yeah. Period. That's it. It's a disqualification for whatever side they're representing. So when the Usos came out, should have been a DQ for Sokoa and Riddle wins the match. I, I, you know, are we nitpicking? Maybe, but it's a frustration and it's recent. This has happened more recently, like you just said, in both brands than it did before. Other thing before we get to Raw, uh, someone needs to tell Riddle to stop wearing these Speedos. Okay, it looks yes. freaking weird, man. I did jump ahead of myself also on SmackDown because we do need to talk about the Judgment Day. Uh, they, sans Finn Balor, they were in gorilla position with Rhea Ripley upset at an insinuation that Zelina Vega embarrassed her last week. Damian Priest admitted that Santos Escobar can go in the ring, but he said the LWO shouldn't be in their business and he's about to take care of it. In the ring, Priest warned Bad Bunny not to get involved in family business. Legado del Fantasma's music hit with Zelina holding a chancleta, uh, taunting from the ramp while the guys attacked from behind. So then we got Escobar and Priest. The crowd was hot for this, just as they were for Xavier Woods and LA Knight earlier in the night. We'll talk about that in the next segment. Escobar got a lot of featured offense with consistent babyface reactions, including on a near fall after a late moonsault. The heels interfered as Escobar went for the Phantom Driver, so LWO attacked Dominic Mysterio, and Michael Cole nearly lost all of his shit. He was so excited to see Dom get his ass kicked right in front of his face. Priest took care of Del Toro and Wild, then Escobar hit Priest with the Tope Suicida, only to get grabbed by Ripley. Rhea tried to powerbomb Zelina, but ate a counter Huracarana. Back inside, a distracted Escobar ate a roundhouse kick and South of Heaven for the loss. And then after the bell, Rey Mysterio saved Escobar from being put through the announce table with Judgment Day also saving Dom from a 619. I just thought this was fantastic from start to finish. The promos hit. Zelina's chancleta taunt was hysterical. The wrestling was awesome. Cole was amazing on commentary the entire match. And the right person won. Yet both Escobar and Vega came out better than they went into the match, despite one of them losing and the other one really not even being involved in the match. I'm an unabashed Escobar fan, as you all know, but it is great to see him finally shining on the main roster. And even though the LWO to this point has mostly been losers in this feud, they are coming out looking great with huge momentum from the fans. Yes, I'm with you. I'm someone who, when I first saw Santos Escobar in NXT, I was like, this guy's a future WWE champion. He like, should be. He just, he's, he's going to be. Uh, also, Ray came out in the LWO shirt, which was something we had wondered about. Like, he had, he'd still been wearing the Ray Mysterio stuff, and LWO was on the side. You weren't sure what exactly was going on. To me, it's a big deal that he wore that shirt. Agreed. He came out with them. Like, he is officially is, the leader of LWO. Yes, yeah. that establishes him in it as a leader. That was good stuff. Your point about Cole, I wrote down in my notes that Cole screamed, Ray is beating the hell out of his son, <laughs> <laughs> which just sounded very funny out of context. Uh, I, I love this. This is extremely hot. Everybody went nuts for Ray and Dominic, which just goes to show he did the WrestleMania match, but Dominic is still as big of a heel as ever. It makes sense to keep it going. Loved it. Great stuff. All right. So finally, we move off SmackDown over to Raw. The bloodline opened with Heyman promising history would unfold. When suddenly, Judgment Day surprisingly interrupted and went face-to-face -face with the bloodline. Priest teased going after Sokoa before Heyman explained it's a good day to be a bad guy because Roman Reigns has worked a deal with Judgment Day. Jay was concerned because 
Paul basically indicated that the Usos weren't aware of this because they're irrational. They didn't want them to go crazy. Paul also said that Balor was very hesitant given his history with the bloodline, but he was able to put aside his differences to make it work. Nice bit of continuity there. Heyman asked Jay to switch spots standing in line with Solo, which put Solo in front of Rhea, who just stared daggers straight through him in a really hot moment that got the crowd popping. The idea of the entire thing was a working relationship with Solo taking care of Ray and Judgment Day handling Sammy, KO, and Riddle all on Monday. And even though there were some issues that I had with this segment, this felt fresh, and I just really enjoyed it conceptually. I do wish Balor had spoken on his own behalf rather than Heyman handling the entire segment on the mic. No one from Judgment Day spoke the entire time. Also, it would have been nice if there was a prelude to this. They bumped into each other with conversations beginning Friday night or through an obvious phone call or something like that. Just a bit more development leading to it rather than it coming out of the blue would have made this entire thing better. Yeah, I I love this. Them getting in the ring kind of again, face to face. It felt like this could be like Wyatt family shield Mm -hmm. type of stuff, except, you know, we didn't have Roman Reigns. If Roman Reigns had been there, it would have, I think we would have gotten the holy shit chance from the crowd that we didn't quite get. Um, But I, I, I love this look. I agree we needed somebody from the Judgment Day to talk more than just Paul Heyman in that moment. But, it felt fresh. It felt like, oh, we've got some good stuff going on here. And we know Triple H likes factions. And we'll get to more of that <laughs> later in Raw. But this got me fired up for the beginning of Raw. This was really funny on Raw because I, I can't help but think, you guys know I'm, I'm crazy about like the factions and the stables and how you have to have four technically yep. to be a faction. Otherwise, you're a group. And what was really funny is as the show progressed, there were four faction slash groups, but because of not having women involved or managers or, you know, Roman Reigns wasn't there, they were all groups. They were all just three person groups fighting each other. And I was like, man, just, you're so close to being like a true faction warfare deal. Add some people, you know, you're so freaking close. Uh, I guess LWO was a faction. Uh, They're four plus Selena's five. Um, But still I was, I was in the, in the final segment, which I am getting ahead of myself here. (laughs) <laughs> it was just since you mentioned it. I was like, oh, it's all three people, three person things. I want more. I want more, you know? Do, so do we think, do we think we're ever going to get solo versus Rhea? Cause this is now twice that they've teased. Oh it. dude, I don't know. I, that's a, you know, the whole intergender wrestling man versus woman. There's a level of believability that you need to have. Like mm-hmm. I forgot exactly who it was, but like China beating up hurricane Helms is fine. Right. And whatever. But you weren't going to have China against like Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock. It just it no. wouldn't well, have she, been she, as believable. She did fight them, but she lost. Yeah. She she would lose, but it also she didn't have like singles matches against them. At least I don't yeah. think she did. I think she just there, would, there, there was a brief moment she was the number one contender for SummerSlam uh, against Stone Cold Steve Austin, and then Triple H won it back or something like that. Yeah, right. But like, so she didn't go and have a full match, I guess, with the top yeah. dogs is what I'm saying. So like. Rhea Ripley putting her just as an just as a comparison against Solo Sokoa in like a one-on-one match, it just it doesn't feel as believable as it would be for her to fight, you know, I don't know, Jimmy Uso, maybe, right? Exactly. Solo, Solo's just he's so big and it, you know, so strong mm-hmm. that it's you have to have that level of believability when you do intergender wrestling. At least you do for me, for me to enjoy it. Um, and I do like it when it when it happens and when it's done well, which it has been done well, and WWE has done it well in the past. So 
We'll get to all of that uh, if it actually transpires. Speaking of Solo, though, we'll go to the first match that I just talked about. Ray against Solo. Ray mostly sold. He didn't actually get much offense until he dodged a hip attack late. Sokoa then caught him flying on a springboard moonsault for a Samoan drop. Ray came back with a 619 and a regular splash from the apron inside for a false finish. Mysterio went for a second 619 when the Usos distracted, only for LWO to jump out of the crowd and beat them down. Ray then hit a second 619 on Solo, but Sokoa dodged the falling splash and caught Ray with the Samoan spike for the win. The Bloodline then beat down LWO with Solo hitting Samoan spikes and the Usos taking out Ray with 1D. Extremely strong stuff uh, for the heels, both in the finish and the post-match. Solo stood in front of the Usos in celebration, and this entire week has largely been about Heyman kind of driving a wedge between Solo and his older brothers. It's a bit annoying that Ray has now lost to Sokoa, Balor, and Austin Theory the last three weeks since winning at WrestleMania, but at least all of them were distraction finishes. My assumption coming out of this was that the faces would get equivalent like retribution in the main event as the primary storyline and also because Bad Bunny wasn't in attendance this week. This was a solid like 3.5 star match also. Nice work across the board. And we'll talk a little bit more about the what transpired following this in a moment. Yeah. Again, cool for Solo Sokoa to get the main event on SmackDown and then a match with Rey Mysterio on Raw. Opening match on Raw. Yeah. Yeah. He's really just carrying it. And... I'm fine with Ray losing because like he's Ray Mysterio. Like he wins, he loses. It doesn't really matter. Nobody, I don't remember. You told me he lost every match since then. I wouldn't have remembered that. It's just, it, it doesn't really matter with him. It's just, it's more, it's Ray. The splash that he did after the 619 where he like bounces off the bottom rope and kind of flies over the top rope. And that was awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he does that frequently or not, but it really just stood out to me of like how cool of a move that is. And uh, it didn't get the pin, but I just thought that was a really cool move. And I put that in my notes. So good cool. stuff. So after this, Priest backstage thought it was interesting that Bad Bunny was returning to Raw next week. As Dom started ranting about Ray, Heyman walked up asking if they were satisfied. Balor said, eh, and scoffed at Paul, who said it was their turn to get the job done so they don't get into debt with Reigns. Ripley then stared Heyman out of their area at the insinuation that Reigns would give them any shit. This was a fun little interaction. I particularly enjoyed them defaulting to Balor for his response and Balor no-selling the entire deal rather than being perfectly content with it. But I did think about it in retrospect and like they beat the asses of the LWO and hit 1D on Ray. What actually more did Judgment Day want? Like them to be murdered? Like, like what else could they have done? They, they won. They, they, they won the match and they beat the shit out of all those guys. But I did enjoy that Balor kind of no-sold it. I thought it was cool. Yeah, no, I agree. Like the, the heel versus heel dynamic is always tricky. Mm-hmm. And, but you don't want either one of them to like defer to the other. You want them like they, they both have to feel strong in their own right. Right. And, and they did here like the, the ju- judgment day or the judgment day is not backing down to the bloodline. Now, maybe if Romans in the picture, things change a little bit, but like they should act like that. Mm-hmm. And I liked it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the faces backstage were commiserating about their match with Zayn ready to hear Riddle's ideas, but Owens wanting him to keep his mouth shut. His idea, Riddle, was a copy of the Samoan Spike called the Tobro, which obviously pissed off KO. Riddle said, dude, I'm just joking. I'm not an idiot. I'm out for blood. 
and I will be both tonight in the main event and at Backlash. KO, to his own regret, came around after that. He's like, eh, that's a pretty good idea. And Sammy was proud of himself for kind of getting them all on the same page. The Usos backstage were really hyped up about the LWO trying to step up only to get beat down by them. And they gave us a really high energy promo about Backlash and the six-man tag team main event that was announced before Raw. Now, the rest of this setup for the main event of Raw was solid. Don't forget, Owens hated Riddle previously when he was a heel. So Zayn getting him to come around here, I thought was really smart, as was Riddle showing his seriousness given the circumstances. The Usos promo was electric, even though it didn't really have to do with the main event of Raw. It was just a really good hype spot that kind of got your juices going for the main event. So between the opening segment and the Ray solo match, they gave us a lot of consistent development during the remainder of the show to get us to the main event. And I just love when they thread a storyline throughout an entire show. I thought the setup for the main event was really, really strong. This is the exact kind of stuff we didn't get in the Raw after WrestleMania. Backstage <laughs> segments and everything right. setting up like this is exactly the kind of thing we were missing. And it all, like you said, it all made sense. Kevin Owens and I, I like Sirius Riddle. I, I we, For him to take the next step, he has to be able to tap into that type of stuff. And he did in a good way and it convinced Kevin Owens, which worked. And I like Sami Zayn being like, Sammy, you did it again. Right, like exactly. Kind of feeling himself. Yeah. And with, with the Usos promo, there's a there's a fun Twitter account at, at Tapes Machines who made this comment after the Usos promo, which was basically like, I want wrestlers to go back to screaming their promos instead of trying to pretend like they're big fancy actors because it just works better. Yep. And that's what the Usos do. They just yell their promos and it works and they get you hyped. Like there's a reason all the promos in the 80s are just people yelling into the microphone because that taps into a passion and an energy that you want the fans to feel. And the Usos consistently do that. And that's why I just think they're really good at that stuff. So all really good buildup. I don't want people to get mad at this comparison, but that Usos promo, even though it wasn't as like smart by comparison, right? It was very Macho Man-esque. Looking into the camera, getting really freaking hyped up about something and selling it. Now with Macho Man, he would frequently tell a story as part of it, right? Uh, the famous cream of the crop promo is a really great example of that. And the Usos are able to do that as well. So this probably isn't the best example of me using it, but that's just what I'm trying to say where it had that feeling to it, where you finish the promo and you're like, all right, I want to see this. I want to see more of this. I'm ready. And there's not enough of that in wrestling. Everyone in wrestling, whether you're heel or babyface, everyone just tries to be cool. Everyone tries to be a, a cool babyface this doesn't affect me that bad yes, or a cool sarcastic. heel. Yeah. Or a cool heel. I'm a bad guy, but you kind of should like me. No F that. Okay. Give me heels and baby faces and give me promos like that. I'm into it. We'll get to the main okay. event. Uh, Sammy KO and riddle against judgment day. Ripley straight up flattened Owens with a clothesline at ringside priest then did a great choke slam, grabbing riddle mid springboard and throwing him onto the apron. Sammy got a great hot tag and hit a big sunset flip power bomb of Dom off the ropes. Rhea then pushed Sammy off the ropes with Dom hitting a frog splash for a broken fall. Owens got so angry at her that, you know, he can't hit her. So he he picked up a jacket that he found on the ground. He ran over, just threw it at Rhea Ripley. It was, I thought it was hysterical. Uh, Rhea later grabbed Sammy's leg a second time, this one running the ropes, and she got ejected. Zayn got Dom with a blue thunder bomb, but he got knees up to counter Owens' swanton bomb. Balor caught him with the shotgun dropkick, but KO dodged a coup de gras and hit a stunner. 
He then hit another stunner on Priest, who ran into the ring. Zayn caught Balor with a haluva kick in the corner and then tagged Riddle for the floating bro and the babyface win. The bloodline attacked immediately after the bell. Ray and the LWO made just as quick of a save in as much, Chris, of an attitude era end to Raw as we have gotten in years. Just 12 mm-hmm. dudes beating the absolute piss out of each other. And that made the Ripley ejection smart because they got her away from the scene. You're not, well, what's Rhea doing this entire time, right? Yeah. KO dumped Priest on the announce table. Ray hit Dom with an assisted 619 and the faces stood tall to end Raw. It was a little tough to see Balor take the fall here, but he was the only one of the six people involved who don't have a match at Backlash. So of course he's gonna be the one to take the fall. Plus, it took three finishers to put him down. And he beat Ray last week. So the whole thing to me was excusable. Dom also took some legitimate punishment here, including a German suplex where he nearly landed on like the back of his neck. And that sunset flip powerbomb out of the corner was really high impact. There was no delay whatsoever on it. The brawl was intense and exciting. As good of a finish to a show as we've gotten in a long time. Old school faction group warfare all exploding at the end of Raw. If there was ever an indicator that Triple H still has the book, this was it. And we also got a high quality six man bout with a fresh matchup, the right team winning, the crowd popping huge, both for the match and the finish, everything that happened after it. It was 3.75 four star range, one of two matches on Raw like that. And Raw was very good on Monday night, despite being a filler episode. This threaded story, just to repeat throughout the entire show, was a big reason why, and the last two minutes were red hot, both in the arena and on TV. They always remember how you finish. I spent most of this Raw being like, all right, it's fine, it's fine. But then when we ended with a brawl in the ring with factions, I was like, man, when's the last time we had this happen? Like, they don't do that for the Rumble anymore. And even when they do it for the Rumble, it's a lot of the lower tier type of people, Madcap Boss running into the ring or whatever like that. And instead... I was like, oh, man, like, this is great stuff. I love this. There's so much intensity. You know, we got to go. You know, we're, we're out of time type of stuff. AEW does this too much where there was like a period for like two straight years. Every <laughs> single episode ended with a big brawl. But like there's a natural wrestling fundamental like storytelling to that. So like it's a good thing to do. Obviously, don't do too much. But like this is why we love it, because it feels like anything can happen and things are spinning out of control. And and just like that was fun, man. Having like all these factions together, it's like we're not near like we're nowhere near Survivor Series. Or else I would have said like, man, you could have done like a fun like four way type of Survivor Series. Yeah, or War or Games or something. something. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I don't know where this is going, but uh, I I loved it. And honestly, throughout this whole thing, I know we're getting the, the six man at Backlash, but I was like, man, the six man I want to see is Judgment Day versus uh, Bloodline, like. That's oh, got me excited right now at some point. So I'm ex- they, they've opened up a lot of possibilities here. And I hope they keep these things together. It's Wrestling is very good when you thread multiple stories together and they cross paths and unexpected allies and all this type of stuff. And you got all of that here and it exploded at the end of Raw. And I was like, when Raw went off the air, I was like, man, I can't wait for next week. Like that's exactly what, or, or Friday, I guess. That's, that's what you want. You rub me just right every week. Yeah, this rubbed me the right way coming out of Raw into this podcast. Like you said, it matters how you finish. I got really excited coming out of Raw to do this podcast on Tuesday because I wanted to talk about this segment. And I don't think this is happening. I just want to make this very clear before I even state it. 
But if you were going to introduce six-man titles in WWE, this would be the way to do it because you have four, you know, basic groups of trios that could all be your first champions, all kind of feuding and threaded together. And if you said, hey, you know what? Those undisputed tag team titles, we're just going to make them a single title and we're going to go off with that and we're going to introduce a trios title or a six-man, whatever you want to call it. Um, this would be the way to do it. I don't think they are. I just thought that was an interesting note to kind of wrap this up. And lastly, before we get to our next segment, A, uh, Reckless Latin on Twitter wrote in, Adam, if any male were to hit Rhea, it should be Randy Orton first with an RKO, right? LOL. Uh, so yes, I mean, I wish I had a longer answer, but yes, Orton has carte blanche in that regard. The only other person I could see where it would really make a lot of sense would be KO with the stunner. Yeah, like, well, Randy Orton, he stunned um, Nia Jax back in the day. RKO, so like, yeah. Yeah, RKO, sorry, yes, RKO and Nia Jax. So, yes, that has happened before. It makes sense for Randy Orton. Kevin Owens, like, yeah, like, Stone Cold Steve Austin could do that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and people would cheer it anyway. You're right. The stunner is kind of one of those things. But but I agree. Ray Mysterio unless, 619, that would work. You could do the, that. The only way it will, honestly, the only way it would work if Rio had kind of turned face at that point, I think it would go over better depending on what it was. Like if if you have Rhea and Dom break up at some point and, and Dom does it, like oh man, that could work too. Nuclear heat. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. That was the main event, extended main event today. As we said, a lot to talk about from the bloodline and judgment day across SmackDown and Raw, but we have a ton of show left. So let's move into our second segment. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Shorty. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. All right, so Cody Rhodes came out in full gear despite being promoted for a talking segment on Raw. He immediately called out Brock Lesnar with Pierce coming out to stop him, saying Cody is not medically cleared to be there. Cody said okay and left the ring, only to instead grab a chair. Pierce called out security, so a dozen guys jumped into the ring, and then Brock Lesnar's music hit. Lesnar entered with a black trench coat and a cowboy hat as Pierce kept pleading with Rhodes. He screamed over Brock's music. If you don't go after Brock, I will give you the match you want against Lesnar at Backlash. Cody thought about it, instead beat the shit out of security and ran to attack Lesnar when another dozen guys appeared out of nowhere to stop him cold. Once Brock left, Cody took out the other guys with one punch each, but instead of running after Lesnar after that, he went back into the ring, grabbed the mic to say, Brock's not a cowboy, but a coward. Very similar to CM Punk and I think Brian Danielson also saying, that's not cowboy shit. That's coward shit over an AEW. So then Lesnar was shown walking backstage out of the arena. And I thought there'd be like an attempt to interview him. Like Byron Saxton would run up and get shoved or whatever. But literally nothing happened. He just was walking for five seconds. He left. And then even later backstage wearing a suit, Cody said he was satisfied to get the match made, but he feels like he's in an alternate universe, not winning the title at WrestleMania. And then being the one who was held back from Brock not the other way around when no one stopped Brock from attacking him two weeks ago. He then said he just can't allow Lesnar to beat him in the match. And Chris. But I'm afraid I've got some bad news. This wasn't for me. Like it wasn't awful or anything, but here we are two full weeks after the attack and still 
zero legitimate explanation from Lesnar and zero desire from Rhodes to get an explanation, which based on the raw promotion all week, it seemed like we were being told we would get one on Monday. Speaking of that in kayfabe, how do you explain Pierce seeing them promote Cody and Brock all week only to stop Rhodes after he gets into the ring? Maybe like he didn't get cleared until Monday right before the show. That's thin at best. And it's me forcing it to make sense because that was not told on TV. Maybe Sonya Deville was right. Pierce is bad at his job. Anyway, this was formulaic and frustrating. If I have a problem with Wardlow beating up 50 security guards, then I can have a problem with Cody beating up 20. It's beyond reality. Like I said, nothing insulting or worth getting angry about. But even though Cody was made to look good and he did get pops, the segment was bad. How about a sit-down interview or something with Lesnar? There are so many possible explanations for an attack. You cannot tell me it's the bullshit they threw out over the last week about him being mad he was the first match at WrestleMania. That cannot be it. I won't accept that. How about giving us any good reason for this fucking attack? I'm waiting for some storytelling to make me care about what is now the Backlash main event because I have been given not a single reason to give a shit. Yep. It, it, it makes me think they haven't come up with a reason. And uh, they, they still haven't figured out a good one. You have Brock in the building and you don't give it to us. Like they open the show in the beginning, like Cody and Brock are here. I was like, all right, finally, we'll get we'll get an explanation. And then we got nothing like again with Cody stuff. They're like teasing you something and then not giving it to you. In mm -hmm. this case, just an explanation of what the hell's going on. I think Cody did his best in, in to, to, to sell it as best he could. He did a good job the promo last week. He's trying his he's trying his ass off here. But if this is all we're getting from Brock, like there's only so much you can do. It's not really Cody's fault. Uh, so disappointing. For sure. Cody's right. Like, hey, why? Why am I being held back when Brock attacked me? Like, he's yeah. right. Like, he's not wrong. And so I'm just like, you know, and, and Brock, look, he comes out wearing a T-shirt and jeans and a cowboy hat and a trench coat and just. He can do what he wants. He's Brock Lesnar. He, he makes anything look menacing, but like, that was it. Okay, like, thank you. Thank you. I saw people praising this, thinking he looked so cool. Dude, this was the least intimidating he has looked in a long time. It was like a mix of like Undertaker, Jeff Jarrett, and Walker, Texas Ranger. It was like a costume on a guy who doesn't need anything to look like a killer. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. Like when he came out in the cowboy hat, in the, in the, 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 the other shirts and stuff that the was the jeans when he was like a, and the yeah when, when he, yeah. he was a face going up against roman and people could get behind it and it was like oh brock's just wearing funny stuff like it's cool like we like brock he's the face going up against roman but now he's a bad guy or supposed to be theoretically if he's going against cody rose oh, he's definitely now he's, yeah so now he's wearing this even goofier stuff and it's just like look he's brock lesnar so like he's always going to look menacing but it just it was startling to see you kind of got distracted by the segment uh, for the segment. And then it just ended and you're like, wait, that was it. I just, I don't know. Oh, I'm, just, I'm just so happy, you know, cause I, we tell people all the time, we don't really talk about the details before we do the show. I'm so glad you agree with me. I thought you were going to completely disagree with me on the, on both, I, on I both parts look, of this. I did not think he looked good. No, he did not look more menacing coming out like that in, in any shape. I guess I didn't grade this. I guess I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a bad just because okay. of the high expectations um for it but yeah brock did not look more menacing he looked that, less he looked no. less menacing to me 
it was distracting. It was, oh man, Brock looks, what is Brock wearing? And you just yeah. kind of lost track of what was going on. I couldn't believe how many people were like, this looks so cool. Brock looks awesome. I was like, he does? Like, maybe I missed something here. So I'm just, I'm thrilled. I'm pleasantly surprised that you uh, are in agreement with me on this. Uh, let's move on because that was not a good start to the segment. Uh, Trish Stratus came out with a full throwback look. Purple Titan Tron, all black gear with a long duster jacket and a black cowboy hat. It actually wasn't that dissimilar from the way Brock was dressed. It except, was, yes. <laughs> except showing uh, a lot of cleavage. That was the to difference. Which I was, to which I was going to say, I put this on my notes, but like, you gotta, you have to, coordinate that like, <laughs> I, I, I immediately yeah. noticed that and i saw m- m- multiple people tweeting it like oh trish and brock dressed the same today like for all the times that they try to like not do the same stuff in the show that was like really noticeable because a lot of people were calling brock's jacket a duster and then later on trish comes out wearing exactly that yeah trish was wearing a duster brock had a trench coat i thought is what it was but yeah I mean, that's Trisha's look from back in the day, her classic mm-hmm. heel persona from like 03, 04. And it was appropriate. And it was great that they changed it from like the Canadian Trish Stratus logo and, you know, all the red and white to now purple and black. Like that's her. That, that's what she's always been. So anyway, she said that women's wrestling was a joke before she single-handedly saved the division. She didn't give Lita any credit for that. Stratus said fans should have been thanking her, not chanting. This is awesome during the WrestleMania 35 main event. The gist was that Trish was angry that Becky Lynch thought the four horse ladies, to quote Trish, were responsible for the women's revolution and that Becky never actually thanked her one-on-one for opening the door for them. She also called Lita pathetic for teaming with Becky one year after they were at odds. And then Trish took responsibility for the backstage attack. She's like, hey, I think it's pretty obvious I did this. Like, hopefully you guys all figured it out. I thought that was funny. Uh, Stratus was proud of taking out the man saying, I'm not a nostalgia act, I'm not your childhood fantasy, and I'm not a sidekick. She said she's the greatest of all time and the most important figure in WWE history. Now, Trish has always had a slight struggle with like intonation when cutting promos, but other than that, and the fact that she was kind of going off memory here, she was awesome in this segment. The content and the explanation were 10 of 10, with her being both kind of truthful and deluded at the same time. The throwback look was 10 for 10, both for nostalgia and for other reasons. And it was a damn good promo segment for someone who has been out of practice doing it better than plenty of wrestlers on the active rosters of the two major companies. And then to top all of it off, there's the extremely obvious. It looked good, but she's got me saying, hey now. So I could not have loved this segment more. It, it was good. Everything she said made sense. I think the way WWE kind of twists its history over who started women's wrestling, even though it was a whole different thing back in the day, like eighties and seventies and stuff like that. In terms of like where women's wrestling goes, they try to keep themselves out of it. They, they try to take credit for the problems that they created <laughs> along the way. Yeah. Right. So that's a, it's a fair debate to have, but everything Trish said made sense. I, I, I like that. The only thing is that it dragged a bit just because the inflection wasn't moving around type of stuff. It was mm-hmm. just like standing there trying to remember the whole thing and delivering it, which is a very hard thing to do, especially for somebody who hasn't done it in a long time. So I was kind of surprised they did that to, to be like, all right, here you go. You got like five, 10 minutes, go out there and deliver your entire promo. Um, so that was, that was a big ask of her and she mostly delivered. I, I think it kind of lacked a bit of an edge, but 
her and Lita kind of had ever since they come back because it's they've been out for a while. But so, that's always yep. been Trish in her promos. Like unless she's like yeah. straight up insulting you, like calling yeah. you names or something, she doesn't have that like edge to her that Becky does. But not everyone can yeah. cut promos like that. Yeah. So so that's yeah. So it's fine. Like I said, it was a good. And I don't think you mentioned it, but did we want to talk about the the Becky Trish Twitter thing before the show? Sure, we can go over that. I didn't mention it because it got blown out of proportion and it was kind yeah. of a, a nothing. Uh, Becky Lynch tweeted, um, not going to be at Raw on Monday. Like on Monday, she tweeted, I'm not going to be at Raw. Um, she also changed her like header to black and she changed the her name to Rebecca Quinn. She lost her verification because she did that. She changed her uh, avatar as well. So immediately everyone assumed, oh, she has problems with WWE. She's leaving because that's what people on the internet do. Uh, she has a foot injury or I think it's a foot injury, a minor injury, wasn't able to be at the show. Um, Trish immediately or, or very soon after, I should say an hour later, retweeted her with, um, I think it was Seth Rollins or Logan Paul from that feud, the bye-bye bitch, like I won't see yep, you there. it was Seth. Yeah, it was Seth. They clearly continued the storyline with her mentioning Becky over and over. Becky was in all the graphics and video packages. Um, people tried to report on it. The report that came out was that she has like 15 months left on her WWE contract, which everyone does who signed those new four-year deals three years ago. So uh, it was much ado about nothing. Um, it became a thing on Twitter. I think Bailey even got involved with it a little bit. You know, whatever. I, I mean, I don't, I, that's why I didn't have it on the show because I, didn't, I thought it was a whole much ado about nothing situation. I just wanted to bring it up just because one, people were talking about it, but two, because the women in WWE are so good at social media kayfabe blurring the lines. Mm -hmm. Like Ronda Rousey and Natalia do this all the time. Like Natalia calls out Ronda Rousey for conspiracy theories and <laughs> vaccines and all this stuff. And Ronda yes. calls out Natty about taking scantily clad pictures with her sister, even though they're like real life friends, like they get into it on social media. The Bailey thing happened after WrestleMania and people thought, oh, is Bailey going to be gone? Well, like that. And to me, that's I thought Becky Lynch was playing off of what Bailey had just done, which was, oh, if I say something, people think I might leave the company. It was that. Reason, it was that. And he, also Drew McIntyre, because Drew McIntyre like blacked out his Twitter uh, yep. header. And Drew is signed for another like nine months. There's a report out there that uh, they're far apart on money. Him and WWE. That's what happens when you have nine months left on a contract. You yes, negotiate yes. and meet at a certain price that everyone has to give a little bit and everyone has to take yeah. a little bit. I mean, that's just how so, it goes. Uh, now, so, yeah. Drew potentially could leave. I'm not saying he's not, but Drew has also been busting his ass since the Thunderdome era, and he's been injured and sick and then injured and sick on and off for like the better part of a year. The guy needs time off. That's what he's getting sure. right now. He's getting yeah. time I, off. I, I'm, People freak I'm just out. Talking, I'm just talking about the social media aspect of this. And I know I'm explaining that Becky was playing off of Drew who did yeah, that. Yeah. And a similar yeah. and, a similar fervor got brought up over Drew. Oh, my God. He's yes. leaving WWE. He's taking time off. He's sick. Yeah. And Give him a break. When, when Trish quote tweeted Becky, that's when you knew for sure it wasn't work. Of course. Um, yeah. But just I just want to credit the women. They're not getting a lot of time as we talked about. But they do. If you follow them on Twitter they do such a good job of building intensity for their stuff, uh, blurring the lines between reality and work shoots and stuff like that better than anybody else in the company does. So I just wanted to credit all them because Becky got everybody up in a, up in a tizzy again because of some stuff she tweeted. It's all a work and it's great. I love it. Well, you said blurred lines. Shout out uh, Emily Rajowski right there. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, okay. Bianca Belair, <laughs> Bianca Belair, uh, fought Dakota Kai in a non-title match. Uh, Bianca 
hit a uh, really nice running blockbuster plus her handspring moonsault. Kai came back with a great counter face buster and a corner boot. Belair retaliated with a gut buster and went for the KOD, but Dakota grabbed the braid on the landing to escape it. Belair then went for the glam slam into the turnbuckle pad, but Kai again countered into a face first move into the turnbuckle. But when Dakota followed with her running boot, Bianca dodged her into the corner and hit the KOD for the win in nine minutes. This was exactly what it needed to be. Dakota looked great in the ring with all of those counters, some really nice offense the women's division doesn't see a lot of. Uh, Bianca obviously got the win ahead of her title match with Io Sky. My only frustration was the crowd didn't give Kai any credit for everything that she did. All the responses were for Bianca and Belair got all the normal cheers, but it was because she was working with Kai who made her look good and Dakota got a ton of offense too. That was unfortunate because Dakota was great in the match. This was her best single showing since rejoining the company and overall it was good. One of her only single showing since rejoining the Yeah, one of few, one of very few, yeah. I, I think that's I think that's part of it is people just don't know what to feel about Dakota Kai just because she just hasn't had much and she really is kind of the third of the three mm-hmm. and so people react to Bianca which is just natural so but you're right credit to Dakota Dakota for putting a really good match uh, everything made sense I, I enjoyed it so this is a light good one quick note twice during this segment commentary said Bel Air would defend the title against Sky at some point in the future. And Backlash is in less than three weeks with only one match at this point on the card. Why not announce it for Backlash? Like, I have to assume Belair is going to be on the show. You know what I mean? It's very confusing why they use this type of terminology to not be very clear that a clear match that is pay-per-view worthy is not officially on the Backlash card. I was very confused by the entire thing. Yeah, I really hope they don't hold this for like, maybe they'll do it that SmackDown of the draft. I, I don't know. Or the Raw of the draft coming, you know, going in. Or I'm sorry, the Raw of the draft. Right? Yeah. yeah, maybe. I just thought it was weird. Like, you're going to have to put title matches on this show. Because right now, the two matches booked are non-title matches. They're going to do another tag team match that's a non-title match. So your top three matches here have no titles on the line. But the women's title matches on the show. You have two set up right now. Rhea Ripley, Zelina Vega, and Bianca Belair against... EO Sky, two very interesting matches for that show. Just announce them. Like, I, I don't understand what the weight is for, especially when especially when EO is officially the number one contender. Zelina technically is not the number one contender yet for Rhea. I was very surprised they didn't just announce it for Backlash. Odd. Uh, Xavier Woods over on SmackDown fought LA Knight. The crowd was hot for this at the bell with Woods hitting a real energetic Tope Con Hero. Woods also had a flying double stomp with Knight draped over the top rope, followed by a flying leg drop. The referee refused to count as Knight tried an O'Connor roll, grabbing the tights in plain view. So Woods turned the tables with one of his own and grabbed the tights at the last second with the referee blind for the one, two, three. Gunther backstage was speaking to Imperium in either Austrian or German. I don't know the difference. Uh, when Woods came up taunting them with his trombone, they got pissed with Gunther demanding Woods be respectful rather than goofy, promising to beat the respect into him on the mat. Xavier said he's beyond ready for a title shot, especially with the WWE draft upcoming. This match was a blast. Both guys got over in completely different ways. It's great to see Woods get such a strong reaction on his own because his contributions to New Day and his ability in general have just been underrated for years. And while initially I hoped Knight would win the match to give him some momentum, with Woods going after the Intercontinental Championship, the booking I thought made complete sense, especially because Knight was hardly hurt by the loss because he hasn't been winning. But he does now need to move into a feud soon that he can actually win. 
And they need to give this guy an effing mic. Like, at least they played the social media promos before the match, so you heard him speak. But him with a live mic is the gimmick. Like, that's what you want. That's how this guy is going to get over. And it's... It's been all the way since at WrestleMania where I don't think this guy has been able to cut a promo in front of the crowd. It's mind-boggling to me. Despite that, both segments, the match and the backstage stuff, the overall booking, all of it was good. I'm thrilled for Woods here, even if he's obviously going to lose to Gunther. But Xavier has now won 13 straight singles matches. And I would have loved if he mentioned that while challenging Mm. Gunther for the title. That's a good step. Yes, I... This was incredibly hot. The crowd was behind this because they're behind these guys and these guys cut great social media promos that they played before they got people excited for it. This was the this was the peak of the crowd, I think, really elevating this match. And I loved you're right. L.A. Knight needs to start every before every match. He needs to cut a promo in front of the crowd, mm-hmm. just like the 1980s. Like it's a classic wrestling thing you do to get the crowd into it even more. I know the crowd's into it, but like that's his whole thing. Let him do that. Match was great. Loved it. Commentary was great. Cole and Barrett, I think, are at their best together when it when they're talking about L.A. Knight. Like <laughs> they just so clearly have the yeah. heel face commentary dynamic. Like Barrett isn't always a heel, but he's always behind L.A. Knight, and it creates a natural dynamic between the two. I really like them. Well, Barrett's and, really behind everyone from NXT that he got to do commentary yeah, for, so that that's too. cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I I didn't love the finish in that Woods won via tights by cheating the, the way you do it is la Knight cheats but woods kicks out of it and then woods cheats and gets the win that's how you do the mm. face cheats to winning because the the ref stopped la the ref stopped la Knight. he did it, it's not like woods got the advantage and then cheated to to win i just would have tweaked it a little bit where um i don't like the face cheating if the heel doesn't get away with the cheating. He still like, tried. Like, no, the heel still tried to cheat. And yeah, but I, he didn't, I completely get away disagree. with it. He didn't get away with it. And the good guy did. It's a very, very little nitpicky type of thing, but they do the roll up tights all the time that I just, it stuck out. To oh me. no, that that's very typical. The heel tries to cheat, but it's a heel and you know, gets but caught. The face kicked out. The face kicks out. No, 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 not always. The referee frequently will stop foot on the rope type of situation. The ref sees the feet on the ropes stops the pinfall, then the person gets rolled up, feet on the ropes, referee's in a different position, doesn't see it. That's what happened here. It was Jessica Carr as the referee. And when he rolled up and grabbed the tights, she was literally staring at him. She was in the corner of the ring looking at him. So then when it got reversed, she ran around to actually count the fall. And Xavier didn't grab the tights until right before the three count for extra leverage. She couldn't have seen it. She was blind to it. So he was a smart baby face getting over a heel who tried to cheat by giving him a taste of his own medicine. That's classic wrestling. I had no problem with that at all. I, I get it. Just great. La- last thing I'll say is you're right. LA Knight really, they got to take advantage of this moment here. Like yeah. he is really over and he keeps losing. Once they told us, Hey, Xavier is going to go off to Gunther and lo- lose a battle for the intercontinental title. Obviously. Okay. Like I was okay with Xavier winning once I saw that. Right. But now you got to get LA Knight winning again. It has to happen like starting this week, basically. The type of responses that he is getting now, they're first, they're just awesome. Okay. But he is someone who, if they had split world titles right now, he could make a quick ascension into a world title program. Could you imagine just as an example, Seth Rollins is a baby face champion on raw and LA Knight, you know, winning a couple matches, becoming number one contender and being his heel challenger for 
let's say money in the bank, like not, not SummerSlam yet. He's not there yet, but a really big show. And the responses of them, you know, singing Seth Rollins' theme and, you know, doing LA Knight's chants, heel babyface dynamic. I mean, these are guys, these are just a couple guys where not having the split world titles, and we mentioned this already twice on today's show, is affecting the main event and the upper mid card of WWE because both of those guys should be in major programs like that. Bobby Lashley is another person who should be involved in something yeah. like that. And it's frustrating because you have Gunther as a dominant intercontinental champion. So Knight can't really get involved with him. Plus heel versus heel on even on raw. If he was to get drafted to raw theory is the United States champion heel and heel. Although you could turn LA Knight face and maybe that's what they're going to do. That's possible. He's lost a bunch. You draft him to a new show. You turn him face. Maybe he beats theory for the title would make a lot of sense. But then you have Roman Reigns, a heel dominant champion and LA Knight certainly not going to beat him. So Everyone's just kind of stuck right now. And he's one of the paradigms of that problem. Yep, completely agree. You, you could have LA Knight in a, he could fight Seth Rollins for a world title, lose it, but get more over because he was in that spot. And then you turn him face like it would be yep. so easy. And then he do. wins a mid-card title and he's super over. Th- th- yeah, this is, the, this is the thing we complained about all of 2022 of not having Roman Reigns on the show and having both titles this is it, it right. stunts the growth of everybody else and it's and it's guys like la Knight uh could benefit from it it's not just that though it's all three champions of the men's singles division are heels and two of them are dominant mm-hmm. so it's like you're stuck what are you going to do with everybody right you got to change some titles that's part of the problem uh shinsuke nakamura fought mad cat moss nakamura made his return to wwe he got a great ovation in the arena it was similar to his last entrance package with the AR graphics and the multicolors, except he got his original theme with the extended intro, the sparkles, the spotlight, uh, the way he slides down the ropes, everything like it was back in the day. He also had a new black and white look without any of the red or yellow like he's always had on the main roster. And he was called the King of Strong Style, of course, not the rock star or any other bullshit. Emma backstage motivated Moss by suggesting he show out and become the number one pick in the draft. Nakamura dominated Moss, and he won with Kinshasa in a relative squash match. Moss tried to attack after the bell, but Shinsuke immediately countered him into an armbar. And then right after the segment ended, a video appeared on screen with Scarlett pulling a tarot card with Nakamura on it and Karrion Cross slamming his fist down saying, tick tock. Not a ton to take away from this other than Nakamura's aesthetic being back to what it always should have been. Classic theme, proper presentation, the preferred nickname, immediately going into a cross feud is a little concerning, but if Nakamura wins, then it's a strong opponent against whom he's kind of reestablishing himself. And they should actually have nice chemistry together because they train in Brazilian jiu-jitsu together. So they're acquaintances at a minimum, potentially even friends. Good return, very positive about what we got from Shinsuke. Good return. If you're going to announce somebody's coming back next week, as opposed to doing a surprise, you gotta build them up to feel like a big deal when that moment comes. And they did. They they told you Shinsuke Nakamura is somebody you should get behind, somebody who matters. Here's why he matters. Social media was pumping out some of his past entrances throughout the week. Mm-hmm. So like they, they they put everything behind it. I legitimately laughed when Emma told Madcap Moss he could prove he should be the number one pick. <laughs> legitimately enjoyed that. Yeah. Um and so everything worked. With a cross feud, I mean Nakamura is going to win the feud. We know that. Cross isn't doing much of anything at this point. It, it, it's fine. All in all, uh, good stuff. 
Uh, Seth Rollins fought the Miz on Raw. Rollins got attacked by Miz before the bell, but quickly got up on him and mostly dominated. Rollins had a buckle bomb, but Miz got knees up on a frog splash. Miz then took advantage of Rollins' leg draped on the rope by taking out the knee and putting him in the figure four leg lock. Rollins got the rope break and hit his rolling elbows, but missed the stomp with Miz countering into two spiked DDTs. Miz tried for a super skull crushing finale off the ropes, but Rollins turned it around into a superplex and Falcon Arrow before hitting the stomp and getting the win. This was an absolute freaking blast. And it completely came out of nowhere because there wasn't really a storyline reason for this match or any promos ahead of the bell. Yeah, it kind of was a continuation of the Logan Paul stuff and Miz was involved in that a little bit, but they didn't actually give us a storyline or, or a reason for this match happening. This was easily the Miz's best TV match in a long, long time. Rollins sold his ass off. It was like 3.75 or four stars and it was an easy good. This is such good shit. I played the wrong sound drop. I meant to go with this one. That was a good one, yeah. It was a damn good match and a great segment. Yeah, completely out of nowhere, that match ruled. And it just made me be like, man, I wish we had gotten a little bit of build for this. Like, even just earlier in the show or, or something. Because um, those guys put on a heck of a performance. So credit to both of them for that. Uh, two future Hall of Famer type stuff. It was one of those like, oh, yeah, like Miz versus Rollins kind of is a big deal. And they, and, and they... They put on a good show. It, it still remains just wild to kind of think back that the Miz got the figure four from Ric Flair all those years ago and still his and all that stuff. So not real solid stuff. And, you know, the Miz got almost no reaction when he came out from the Little Rock crowd, which is rare. Mm -hmm. But it was because there was it's rare that the Miz has a match with nothing behind it. There's always a talking segment. There's always a backstage something that the Miz does right. a heelish thing to set up a match. And then he gets booed when he comes out. There was none of that this time, which is why it was so surprising. It's not like he's Ricochet, you know, where there's no storyline, but he's in a match. Like, all right, this is going to be a banger just because it's Ricochet. Yeah. You know, it was very surprising. Credit to both of them for just going out and they kind of stole the show. They did. It was the best match on the I think it was the best match on the card. Main event has a good argument. But what a delight it was because I saw this and I was like, man. Why is this happening? This feels like a repeat, even though they hadn't fought since February. I'm just like, eh, I don't really don't want to see this. And then, boom, they just shut my mouth right there. So credit to both of them. Uh, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez got surprised with Pyro while celebrating their women's tag team championship win on SmackDown. They had a nice contrasting black and white look. Raquel thanked Liv for letting her use Morgan as a weapon. And Liv was excited to see what they can do going forward, given they were relatively fresh as a team. Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville interrupted, getting some cheap heat before noting they didn't actually beat the champions as Lita was taken out of the match last week. They blamed Pierce, the manager, for letting it happen and asked, do you know who we are? Liv responded by saying they'll ask Pierce to make them the first challengers for the titles, and then they briefly attacked. I don't necessarily mind like chicken shit heels talking themselves into a title match, but I would really like the division to get built where there's multiple teams vying for the opportunity. It was good to see Liv and Raquel get an extended segment after being completely overshadowed on last Monday by Trish turning on Becky. So it felt like they finally got their moment in the sun here. And also, again, with the draft and backlash and with Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler being injured, this is the one period of time where with the women's tag team titles, I'm fully excusing whatever WWE wants to do because they were given hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. And there's also the draft and backlash. They're just trying to put something on television. So I'm fine with this kind of being whatever through backlash in the draft. But after that, we need to see some serious progression. 
Yes, and look, Raquel and Liv are both basically white meat babyface type of faces, um, unless Liv is doing extreme stuff, which she's kind of pulled away from. So they're going to be defined as tag champs by the by who they're facing. And so I think DeVille and Chelsea Green as outsized personalities who are easy to boo type of stuff is a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's still no Carmella. I don't know. I hope she's okay. Yeah, like what happened she's, there, man? She's still post. I mean, she was at Mania. She was at Hall of Fame. She was still post stuff on social media. I, I, not like she's got a giant boot on or something like that. I I, don't, I haven't seen any reporting. Just I know she had a, you know, a, a pregnancy thing way back. Uh, just hope everything's okay with her. Right. Because yeah. her and Chelsea were, were really, really good together. And I just would love to see them back together. It's one thing if it's an injury. It's another thing if it's medical related and Mm -hmm. something personal to that degree. And, you know, certainly hope everything's okay with her. It is, you know, Sonia and let's make it clear. Sonia and Chelsea are working well together because. Yes, they're figuring it out. It's working. They're figuring it out. And Sonia was the perfect replacement for Carmella. It's just that Carmella and Chelsea were like a perfect tag team. Like it, it could not have worked better. But Sonia is a really nice replacement. So. It's going pretty well. We got that match on Raw. Green and DeVille against Candice LeRae and Mee Chin. The champions watched from ringside. Nikki Cross was back to stalking Candice during the match. I'm glad they didn't forget about that storyline. Uh, Mee Chin hit a tilting code blue on a near botch of the move that ended up instead looking really awesome. Uh, there was extra leverage on it. Sonya tried to cheat with the ropes on a pinfall, but got caught by the referee. They were then able to double up Mee Chin with Chelsea catching her in an unprettier for the win in three minutes. After the bell, Chelsea threw a whole bottle of water in Liv's face and the heels scurried off. It was a little frustrating because the match concept was fine, even though you're supposed to build challengers before they actually, you know, become number one contenders, not after the fact, but three minute match on a three hour show. Like really, we can't do better than that. Granted, the crowd did not give a single shit because they have no reason to care about really any of them but we can go six or seven minutes and let them get a little bit of work in. You know what I mean? So I'm going bad here again, like the other one, it wasn't insulting. It wasn't something that angered me, but it wasn't really good. Yeah, I agree with all that. I give it a a light bad. Okay. Uh, Bronson Reed got a vignette saying his mom used to call him Mr. Nice Guy over footage of him throwing people around and beating the shit out of them. I thought it was really funny and I don't know if they're going with that as his nickname, but like, I thought it was cool. I yeah, I don't uh I don't mind it. It's um it showed like personality a little bit, you know? It is. It is. I did like the vignette. It, it's it's really the first thing we've gotten from him since he debuted. I mean That showed really personality, happen. yes. We've had other yeah. vignettes and video packages, but yeah. Yeah, so like that was just like we need that. And and um with with Bronson Reed like I didn't know this until a bunch of people said it on Twitter, but uh, Bronson Reed beat Okada. Yes, he did. In, in NJ, NJPW. Mm-hmm. And obviously commentary is not going to like say that, but like if there's ways that they can like allude to that type of stuff, or at least WWE can kind of get it out through various people that, hey, Bronson Reed beat Okada, like that instantly makes him feel like a much, much bigger deal for people who maybe yeah. uh, only occasionally know or, or haven't followed WWE as closely. And it needs to be said, because I I don't remember if I said it on last week's podcast, but he had the flu last week. So one of the reasons why the Lashley match just came off so poorly is let's not forget they were short staffed and they kind of threw that match together on the show unannounced. Um, But he couldn't really go. So he got blown really easily. He was exhausted and it showed in that match. So he came off not looking good last week. But this week, I got to tell you, 
I felt differently. So we had Austin Theory against Bobby Lashley in a non-title match. This was the first time I've ever seen a crowd, like an entire crowd, mimic Lashley's like entrance gestures where he like pumps oh, both yeah. fists they in the that. air and then one. I've seen I've seen people do it. The entire a hard cam side that we were looking at, everyone in the crowd did it. I thought it was so cool. Yeah. It was awesome. It's like it, it's fun with like a little thing in an entrance just like pops up that people get behind like the Cody Rhodes whoa like it wasn't like that at the beginning no it just started yeah. to happen and the Bobby Lashley I think Bobby's the one who started it he would do the fist pump on the one two thing and people eventually got into it and yes like, it works it totally works but now like he turns around to the crowd and does it to them and they do it back like it's really mm-hmm. cool that he actually got that going when yeah. I mean the crowds love Bobby ever since he turned babyface but still not to that degree so that was just nice to see uh now they should have made this match for the rights to the spotlight pose down entrance because both of them do it. So it was really weird (laughs) to see like one after another in the same match. Uh, Theory got a lot of heat and he was live offensively all match, actually to a surprising degree. Lashley hit an almighty spinebuster theory dodge to spear. Lashley countered ATL into a dominator. Theory collapsed to avoid a spear, but got caught rolling with the hurt lock. He then backed Lashley into the corner as Bronson Reed ran in out of nowhere to squash both of them for the disqualification. Then he squashed Lashley into a ring post. Lashley tried to counter Bronson back inside, but Theory caught him from behind with a dropkick to the back of the head. Reed then hit a Samoan drop and the tsunami to end it. There were consistent boos here for the post-match, both for Reed and the DQ, which was obviously coming, but it was super unfortunate because these guys were absolutely rolling. Not the boos were unfortunate, the DQ was unfortunate. This was a super entertaining match between both of them, but with Theory as champion, he couldn't lose. Lashley couldn't win. So there was never an expectation. So there was never an expectation from me that we would actually get a clean finish, but this was good. Bronson looked like a monster. That was the entire point. Lashley was protected in losing the match or in not winning the title, I should say. And Theory got off kind of scot-free again. I wouldn't hate the idea of Theory and Bronson Reed teaming up and Reed being as heavy, but the problem with that is the way they have shared Bronson's character to this point is he's a hired gun. He's not really someone who is aligning with everyone because don't forget what happened with the Miz. So all in all, it was good. Enjoyed what we got here. Good match. Maybe the best Lashley theory match we've gotten. Yes, that's fair. But it was disappointing to have two straight weeks of a Bobby Lashley match that ends with no winner. Mm -hmm. Um, Just again, last week may have been thrown together. I don't know, but it was just like, oh, we're doing this again. We were disappointed about this last week. I, it Bronson Reed looked great. Like th- that, that worked. I think, I don't know if now it's the time to have it. We, at some point we need to have the conversation of like, what is Austin theory? Mm-hmm. Because it feels like this might be triple threat. It might be the three of them and maybe Bobby or somebody pins uh, theory to know. take the title away. And that way Lashley and, and Bronze Reed can continue their thing with the title. I don't know, but like he was the champion and he felt like like third wheel, like background noise to these two guys. And he 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 came out with a new shirt, ATL Austin Theory Live. It's like it's like an old John Cena shirt, but like I just mm-hmm. I don't know what Austin Theory is. He's gotten nothing coming off of the Cena win, and now he's kind of involved in this. I he just he's not really doing anything. I just really think they've dropped the ball a lot with him recently. And I don't, he just feels directionless. So I took his involvement in this as a total throwaway. He was just a tool to continue the Lashley and Reed feud and, and keep that intensity going. 
But you are correct on the last thing you said, which is he beat John Cena at WrestleMania. Now we know the match wasn't good and Cena didn't do well for him. And the whole thing just fell extremely flat, but there was no advantage taken from that. He is the same guy he was before the Cena feud as he was after. And that means the Cena feud was a total failure. We had Cena come in, just tear him apart on a promo. Now, Theory did get a good response promo, that empty arena thing they did on the go home to WrestleMania. That was solid. And Theory did beat him in the match, but it was an unspectacular match. Theory didn't, I mean, uh, Cena didn't put him over in any real way, like shaking his hand or giving him a nod or anything like that. And Theory didn't get time really on the mic coming out of Mania or a storyline coming out of Mania to take advantage of that. So Theory feels like the lowest he's been since he lost the Money in the Bank briefcase cashing because they rehabbed him fully after that. This is the lowest he's been since then. I'm not saying it's that bad. He's nowhere near that you know floor, but there's nothing happening. The title on him does feel like a waste. It doesn't feel like it should be on him anymore. And it's taking the one element that Raw has, that title, that top title, and it's just wasting it. It's not really part of the show. So they got to get the title off him. They got to figure out something to do. And they got to get him into a storyline that makes sense and is invigorating. You know, if they go Randy Orton legend killer route, that could be interesting. They could also do something else. I don't really know. But you're correct in the at the end, again, of your take there that the momentum was wasted. And it's really unfortunate because the guy's talented. But again, let's not forget. He's like, what is he, 24? Like, he's got plenty of time. There's no rush with theory. Yep. No, I just, it just, he didn't get any of the heat from the Cena stuff. And it feels like he needs to lose the title and get some sort of reboot again. Yeah. And Bronson Reed winning the title off of him in a triple threat feels like it'd be a great, easy way to kind of put this all together and create some out of it. Yeah, possibly. Uh, Street Profits, Rick Boogs, and Elias were all commiserating backstage in what seemed like it was going to be a throwaway segment about the draft. They were all excited about the possibilities when Baron Corbin played along before reminding the Profits that tag teams can get split up in the draft. So that led the Profits to run and go talk to Pierce. Elias then told Boogs that he, Elias, would probably be the number one overall pick. But Akira Tozawa needled him, saying Boogs was a star and Elias would probably get picked last. So Corbin loved that, that Tozawa kind of gave him shit. So he tried to dap him up. Uh, But Tozawa yelled back, nobody likes you and you suck. And when I tell you the audible surprised laugh that came out of me, it was legitimately loud. Now, normally, I wouldn't even put a segment like this up for a grade. But Tazawa was so freaking great. And even Corbin's bit with the profits was solid that I had to take the time to give this a good. I would absolutely love to see Corbin go undrafted and do the Heath Slater free agent gimmick or another option. Both of them could go undrafted and they team up and do some type of comedy tag team gimmick with Corbin trying to find himself while simultaneously helping Tazawa, a guy he thought that he would hate. If you will it, dude, it is no dream. There is something here, and this is a reminder that Tazawa needs to be on TV more. Guy has personality plus, and he turned a segment that was a relatively run-of-the-mill deal into something really freaking fun and funny. First thought is Tazawa looked exactly like Eminem. Blonde hair, big white t-shirt. I just... First thing I mean, not exactly like Eminem, but sure. <laughs> well, dressed like him. Halloween Eminem. Second, second sure. part is, I completely love that idea of putting Corbin and Tazawa together. It, it, one of the one of the most it, one of the most like low key fun things AEW did like a year plus ago was teaming up Brandon Cutler and Peter. I forget his last name. Avalon. Pretty Peter. Peter Avalon. 
and they they would argue with each other over who was worse while they were both losing matches. Then they teamed up together and would lose as well. And it was like a great way to do like a loser storyline. And something like that would be super fun of Corbin and Tazawa just ripping on each other, then eventually kind of coming together uh, a, a bit. I know Zack Ryder and Brian Myers kind of did that a while back too, but that, you bringing that up, like that'd be a really fun thing for both of them to do because they're both doing nothing. So, but do you agree that Corbin goes undrafted? I hope so because it's something and he's just, he's got nothing right now. Yeah. I think he goes undrafted a couple extra just items before we get out of the segment, alpha Academy and Maxine Dupree were backstage at raw with Pierce as Chad Gable told Pierce that they had to stay together in the draft alpha Academy and Dupree claimed Otis should actually be grouped with maximum male models. Pierce got frustrated at the bickering. He just sent them away. No other development. And then Ricochet and Braun Strowman on SmackDown were walking backstage. When the Viking Raiders attacked them blind, Braun got destroyed into some road cases, and Ricochet took Ragnarok through a table. It was a fine attack, setting up a tag team match. Not much else. Did you have anything on either of those? Nope. Other than just slowly continues to set us to a spot. I think Otis will turn on Gable, and I really, really hope they take advantage of that moment for Gable turn him into a face or something and and go from there. I do believe that a face push for Gable is coming. And that, Chris, brings us to the final segment of today's show, coming back after a bit of a hiatus, the last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. We gon' have this poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make the scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. Now, Joe actually sent this question in before WrestleMania. It was a good question. We didn't have time to get to it last couple of weeks, so we saved it for today. He wanted to know what popular song would make a great entrance theme that has never been used in mainstream wrestling. Now, the way I attacked this question, Chris, was by thinking what my entrance theme would be if I was a wrestler. What track did you take towards your answer here? Well, I... I submitted a couple things when we when we talked about this and i first thought we're not gonna take it by twisted sister i was like crowd can get into that before you get into the before you get into your pick what i'm asking is what was the methodology that you used to determine the song just like something that sounds good that you think would work or like it would be your entrance theme i i always do the reverse of this where i'm like if i was like a baseball closer okay what what would you want to come out wrestling theme i always think like what would be my entrance theme it'd be a wrestling theme so i kind of had to do the reverse of this here and i thought do you want something that the crowd is going to cheer and chant along with do you want something that has a big first chord that gets people into it ultimately i went with something that the crowd can either chant or clap along to all right let's go with yours first and i'll give mine uh at the end here is chris's choice for uh, entrance theme that has not yet been used in mainstream professional wrestling.
All right. So, Chris, that was your choice. Uh, was it Timmy Trumpet? What's the, the hell is this thing called? It's, it's called Narco by Timmy Trumpet and Blaster Jack. Okay. So, go ahead. What's your explanation for that? Well, my explanation is I did the reverse of what I thought about when I when I do my baseball. When I think if I was a baseball pitcher, the wrestling theme I would use as my entrance. And I thought, oh, we have the opposite of that. We have Edwin Diaz, the closer for the Mets, who uses this song. And it got really popular last year as he did his entrance and fans got really into it. I was like, that just fires me up. It feels like it's, it's got a good hit at the beginning with the single trumpet and then it builds and it's easy to clap along to. Uh, I, I, I think it, uh, it works as an awesome entrance theme and we've seen it in baseball. It would work great in wrestling. I think it's very similar to the idea of like a Sami Zayn entrance theme where mm-hmm. the crowd would get involved in it. To me, it's a little too much if I get to be a little critical here. It's, man, it's it's ultra hype, right? But mm-hmm. you can't do anything else to it. And that's kind of where I've always um, tried to think of mine is what would I want to come out to as a professional wrestler? And I've had the same answer to that question for a very long time. It's one song, one track, one artist, and I'll play it for you right now. Fellow Americans. It is with the utmost pride and sincerity that I present this recording as a living testament and recollection of history in the making during our generation. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho, oh, H to the O-V. I used to move snowflakes by the O-Z. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the R-O-C. Ho, fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music man's number one supplier. Flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, ho, ho. Not DOC, but similar to them letters. No one could do it better. I check cheddar like a food inspector. My homie Strick told me, dude, finish your breakfast. So that's what I'ma do. Take you back to the dude with the Lexus. Fast forward the jewels and the necklace. Let me tell you dudes what I do to protect this. Shoot at you actors like movie directors. <laughs> Say the movie, dogs. Now, this is Jay-Z's public service announcement. I love the build. You get that big moment where you pop through the curtain, the pyro goes off. And yeah, you'd change the lyrics. You know, you would do more of uh, something about the character themselves. Uh, but this Jay-Z public service announcement, it's always been my choice um, for the song that I believe has not been used as a mainstream entrance, but would absolutely rock. Now, you know, again, you couldn't be like cult of personality where you leave all those lyrics in there. Certainly you're not going to be talking about cocaine and some of that other stuff on WWE <laughs> television, but nevertheless, the instrumental, um, the, the entire, uh, concept behind it, uh, reintroducing yourself and coming out in that, with that big kind of salvo, uh, it's always been that song for me. So, so would you, if you're doing an entrance, would you start with the first hit be, allow me to reintroduce myself or would you have the kind of the talking? At the so beginning? I'd have the intro with no talking. Okay, good. Because and then it would come through. Yeah. Because Cody Rhodes always does the wrestling as more than one Royal family before his entrance. And it works for the big entrances, but I, I don't like that. He does it every single time mm-hmm. because it, it's not a great first note that gets, that gets people in. So, you're starting with a allow me to reintroduce. That's a great hit. That's a great, like, well, it would like, be. Yeah, it would be. It would be like the arena would be dark and the mood. You'd hear the beat come through and you'd be like, oh, man, here it comes. And then boom. And then the pyro goes off. You step through the curtain and with that big moment. And so that's how it hits. Yeah, yeah. there's there, like there's two different scenarios. There's the coming out for a match and you get the whole entrance. And there's also the surprise 
you know, interrupting something. Right. Thing. And so that works for both. I think mine work for both uh, as well. I had considered we're not going to take it by Twisted Sister until I realized that was David Arquette's intro music in WCW. <laughs> and he is a former WCW world champion. So I had And WCW is mainstream wrestling. So that would not have fit the uh, question. So no, very, yeah. very good. Uh, stuff right there. Well, Chris, that was a loaded edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. You and I did have a brief conversation about maybe talking about HBO's succession on the show because there were a couple parallels I had between the Bloodline story and what happened on the latest episode. We're not going to do it. We ran out of time on today's show. Maybe we'll do it if everyone wants, if our Getting Overheads want. We'll do it as a bonus on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over our membership. You guys can let us know if you're interested in that. Don't forget that uh, membership right there. It's priced right because on this podcast, I happen to love the number five. So join us over there. Exclusive audio bonus shows. The fastest five minutes in professional wrestling after every major TV program. You hear it over there. Plus news posts, including a number of stories that we've uh, broken or at least been on top of over the last couple of weeks since WrestleMania. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. You can also find the link in our Twitter profile at Getting Overcast. Follow us there for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, and so much more. And please do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about the five. So I'll do it right this time. Please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. If you leave a five-star written review, we will read it live right here on the show. One week from now, we will be back with a WWE mock draft episode. Same bat time, same bat channel. Of course, we'll also talk about the week in WWE across SmackDown and Raw. And then this coming Thursday, we will have your next AEW and NXT episode. Plenty of high quality performance enhancing audio waiting your ear holes coming up. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We'll be back with you soon. At this point, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.